Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. John chapter fifteen, part one. We're only going to go through uh, a little bit of the chapter here, but I, there's just so much great stuff that I wanted to be able to talk with you about. Okay, so we're all set with that, and we're all set with that. Okay. All right, so. This continues from the last chapter. Remember John chapter 14, we went through uh, Jesus teaching his disciples about some various things, letting not your heart be troubled, and talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's continuing to give his disciples final teachings before his death, and this is less than 24 hours before his death, burial, and then subsequent three days later resurrection. Uh, He's just told them to rest in the peace that he gives. Do you remember that? He's saying... um, uh, let not your heart be troubled. And uh, let's see here. It's the end of chapter number 14. Uh, he says, uh, da, 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 da. verse 27 of chapter 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. We're going to see a, a, a similar statement in chapter 15 here and about something else that Jesus gives that's his. If I gave a title to this, this section, it would be Abiding in Christ, Our Present Mansion, and Jesus or Jesus's joy. And so as we look at this chapter, chapter 15, some different things that Jesus talks about, it really, the rubber meets the road very strongly in everything that we're going to look at here in our life if we would let it. There's a whole lot of potential um, to change for the better, to be impacted, to be closer to the Lord. And so here's a, a statement about Hudson Taylor, okay? Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission under God was responsible in the mid-19th century for leading hundreds of missionaries into China's interior for the first time. In 1869, when he was 37 years old, okay, I'm 35, he's only two years older than I am now. I know I look a little bit older because of, you know, the lack of uh, coverage up top there. He came and he entered into, yeah, Buzz knows what that's like a little bit, maybe. I know. I was 15, no, 15, 16 or 17 pastor friend that I had met when I was 15, two years later, I'm like 17 or so, and he says, hey, you, you, you look a little bit taller, a little bit less up top, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? That was like a stab in my heart because I hadn't even realized at that point that I was losing my hair. Anyway, all right, so when he was 37, he came and entered a new phase of life. He began to drink more deeply at the experiential fountain of John 15, 1 through 11. This is, this is from Hudson Taylor's uh, son, Frederick Howard Taylor. In his expression of what his father did in his life that started when he was 37, he started applying what we're going to look at tonight, uh, John 15, 1 through 11. He was given a deeper, more constant, more satisfying experience of abiding in Christ. How many of you need that tonight? I'm raising like both my hands and my feet, okay? Uh, we all need it. Uh, we can have a deeper, um, <laughs> a deeper, more satisfying experience, and it's 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 hard to you know use that word. Whenever we use the word experience, it's like it can it can get on shaky ground. But the Bible talks about things that will happen in our lives that are like evidentiary, meaning you can see it. You can not tangible, but the results are there. The fruit is there. The change is there. If we would simply apply what we see in John 15, 1 through 11. His son, Frederick Howard Taylor, wrote in 1932, speaking of his father, here was a man almost 60 years of age. So he's not talking about his father being 37. He's talking about years later, after this 
you know, had really impacted his life, and he's continually um, putting into practice John 15 about abiding in Christ. When his father was 60, he says, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Boy, okay. Lately, it's probably because I'm teaching on this passage. Satan's just been going nuts in my life and in my wife's life and just constant pressure of burdens and anxiety and discouragement and just everything's going wrong. You ever had one of those days where it seems like every little thing, not, not important things, not crazy things, but just all kinds of little things are constantly just blowing up. Um, but here, speaking of his father, speaking of Hudson Taylor, he bore tremendous burdens and yet absolutely calm and untroubled. I would like some, a piece of that. Uh, oh, the pile of letters, any one of which might contain news of debts. Okay, now today we're not going to have piles of letters. We're probably going to have emails or more than likely Facebook comments and messages that drive us up a wall. Uh, any of which might contain news of death, lack of funds, of riots, serious trouble. Yet all were opened and read and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm. Dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources. And this he did in an attitude of faith as simple as it was continuous. And so it's not some crazy, very hard to reach, very hard to gain secret that we can't attain to or figure out. It's just very simple and continuous if we would allow it to be. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no word to describe it save the scriptural expression in God. He was in God all the time and God in him. It was that true abiding of John 15 and that's what we're about to look at. Dr. and Mrs. Howard Taylor in Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, the name of that book there. So Jesus says in verse number one, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, we can get all up in arms and instantly, like, and those that would like to proof text things to say you can lose your salvation, like here, okay, somebody's in the vine and they, 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 they don't bear any fruit and so Jesus kicks them out and they're no longer in the vine. Look at this in the context of everything else that we've looked at through the book of John. Numerous times Jesus said things like, you know, the Father which gave me is greater than all, no man plucks them out of my hand. Um, he talks about all that the Father gave to me come to me, and, and, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. And what in the world does this mean? Again, the context of everything we've been looking at, what, what happened? What major thing happened, aside from Jesus washing the, disciple, washing the disciples' feet? What major thing happened in John chapter 13, after Jesus washed their feet? Then we have the, 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 Lord's, the Lord's Supper, the Passover. And then what did somebody do? Judas, okay? So Jesus points out, and, and, and remember in John 14, he says, my heart is troubled, right? Or in John 13, after Judas left, he said, my heart is, is, is exceedingly troubled. But then he said, let not your heart be troubled in the book of John chapter 14. The context is that Judas was lost. Judas was lost. Judas was a professor of having faith in Christ. He hung out with the other 11 for three and a half years along with Jesus. He walked around and saw what Jesus did, listened to his teachings, and then we see him just in the previous chapter get up and leave when Jesus says, that thou doest, do quickly. And so this man, Judas, gives a very, very fitting example, and it's on purpose, I believe, connected with John 15. Remember. All of this is, seems like a continuous running statement after the, the Lord's Supper, after Passover, the Last Supper, Passover meal, and the washing of the feet, and Judas leaving when Jesus says, you know, one of you will betray me. Who is it, Lord? John says, and Jesus says, the one that I dip this off with, he it is that will betray me, and he dipped it, and he gave it to Judas, and he said, that thou doest do quickly, and Judas left. And everybody was like, hey, did Judas go and buy some food? Did we, did we miss out on some kind of supplies that we needed that we didn't have? <coughs> They didn't realize, they didn't understand, but John knew. And Peter may have known, but Peter was kind of like, who is, you know, to John. But what's interesting is, everything that we read flows, because this is one continuous kind of event. This is all happening in a matter of hours. 
Whereas we see days and months and even years contained within other passages, this is happening within a span of hours. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, my, 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 my father taketh away. And Judas is the exact fitting example of that idea. It's not a believer losing their salvation. And we're going to talk about this more as we go on. As we have seen before, believers are eternally secure in Christ. What we need to do, uh, and I spoke to a man, um, I spoke to a man at the Crepe Myrtle Festival. He's going to that Anthem Church there uh, in Andrew on, uh, I think it's on 210. Um, but he was previously a Seventh-day Adventist. And he said that I can't, um, I started to realize that the teachings that they were having regarding their cardinal teachings in the Seventh-day Adventist movement um, were not founded in the scripture and that they were taking certain passages out of context and twisting those things to meet their needs of what they wanted it to say, proof texting. And so we cannot do that with this. Once we look at the context, especially having to do with Judas in the previous chapter, but also some other things that Jesus said in John. Like for instance, John chapter 6, verses 39 through 40. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life forever. And I will raise him up at the last day. If this passage was teaching that somebody could lose their salvation, somebody that's really truly saved and they're not bearing fruit, and so the Father says, all right, you're done, cuts you off, and you're not saved anymore, was that truly eternal life that they had at the moment they believed? That's temporal. That's temporal uh, spiritual life. And there's no such thing. No such thing at all. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Remember, we got to look at this in the, in the whole picture of Scripture. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. None of this makes any sense, and you get into a huge theological debacle if you decide to say that, well, verse 1 is talking about you can lose your salvation. That's not at all the case. And the prime example of somebody that is one of those that was in him, okay, a professor but not a possessor, just as like everything that Mark taught in Hebrews, that person is not saved, never was saved, but they're kind of going along with the crowd, pretending. He says, those that don't show fruit, those that don't bring forth fruit, those that don't show that they're true believers, uh, my father's going to take them away. And we're going to see some other interesting context about when exactly that happens. So what is this verse talking about? And I've mentioned some of these things, but the context here is Passover in Jesus' last 24 hours. Judas has already betrayed him, John 13. Jesus is addressing his Jewish followers. Israel was understood to be the vine. Now, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. But Israel was understood to be the vine, circumcision placing the child in the covenant of Israel. And so, basically, the vine is Israel, and the way you get in is circumcision. By the Jewish people, thus securing their spiritual destiny, since they are a part of Israel. And we can see this pan out in the book of John, Jesus talking to various Jewish people that thought that because they were of the seed of Abraham, that they had everlasting life automatically. Jesus is putting this erroneous teaching to rest. The subject here is salvation. Jesus has already established that the children of God are eternally secure. I mentioned those two verses above. The analogy is clarifying the true believers from the false. Judas has been with them for three and a half years and was not a true believer through evidentiary fruit. A changed life, fruit, is the result of true faith. All right, so... I'm going to go through some of these things. Number one, fake faith. In 1 John chapter 2, verses uh, 3 through 4, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. And if you don't get there by the time I start reading, I'll just, I'll just read it. But 1 John chapter 2, and uh, I'm there now. So verses 3 and 4. 
And hereby do we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, like Judas. And the truth is not in him. And so we see this subject in Scripture come up multiple times of somebody who is a fake believer, not a true believer. How do we know that they're a true believer or not? By their fruit. Okay, that's how we know. God knows. God doesn't need to see anything. God knows their heart. But we, in order to determine, we can tell by fruit or lack thereof. Real faith, number two. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it talks about how if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Ephesians 2.8-10 talks about, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then it says, uh, boy, I know verse uh, number 10, but verse number 11, it talks about, and I'll just paraphrase, talks about us being foreordained to walk in good works that God hath set us in to do. Um, not that we were, you know, foreordained who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost, but the fact that those that are in Christ, those that are new creatures, those that are saved by grace through faith, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so those things that God has set forth before us to do. What was Judas's fruit? Well, his fruit was complaining about the bag and the money that should have been given to the poor and then betraying Jesus with a kiss. That was Judas's fruit. And it showed that he was not a true believer. Now, this whole entire passage should not cause anybody to wring their hands and think, oh, I wonder if I'm saved or not, you know? Um, God's Holy Spirit will prick your heart if you do something that's wrong. That's one of the biggest evidences in my own life that I was able to see, wow, there's a change in me. Not that I was necessarily a whole lot better of a person, although I tried to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that whether I was living right or not, the Holy Spirit just got a hold of my heart when I did something that I knew I shouldn't have done. And so he works in our lives through those things. Characteristics of a child of God. Uh, produces good fruit. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about this. And uh, let me go ahead and turn there. I don't want to, I'll, I'll go ahead and turn there uh, so you don't have to worry about it. I'll just read it. But in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus is talking about the producing of good fruit in verses number 16 uh, through 20. It says this, you shall know them by their fruits. Actually, let me, let me back up to verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. I saw, you guys ever hear of the Babylon Bee? Anybody ever hear of the Babylon Bee? Okay, so it's a, sat, it's a satirical newspaper, okay? And they're constantly posting things that are, that are fake. It's satire, but it's meant to be humorous, and they're from a, they're from a Christian uh, background. And so they posted this thing about Joel Olstein producing his own line of clothing, his new, his, his new special suits, and uh, his line is called Sheep's Clothing. <laughs> so that was kind of funny there. But anyway, beware of false prophets. Verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Think of Judas. Okay? A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Are you saying that somebody's going to be cast into the fire? You know, taken away from the vine? How and when does that all happen? We'll talk about that in a minute. But characteristics of a child of God produce good fruit. There's attitude fruit. Love, joy, peace, kindness. How does that song go, Jennifer? <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit song. Uh, all of those things are, are, are inward characteristics of the heart. Yeah. We'll have you guys come up and sing it a little bit later. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, you were the one that suggested to sing it. So, um, yeah, attitude fruit, okay, the, the, whole, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Those things should be produced. Action fruit in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Go ahead and turn there. I know we're doing more turning than we, than we normally do when I do these things. 
But uh, these are all good passages for us to, um, to look at the correlation there. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse number 9. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Somebody that's not saved is not going to have the fruits of righteousness in their life by Jesus Christ. They're not going to have those things because they're lost. Okay, they're faking it. Um, and so those things should produce action, fruit of righteousness, right? And then chastisement, Hebrews chapter 12, and you guys went through this not that long ago with Mark. But if you're truly saved, one of the fruit that's going to be produced in your life is chastisement when you're not doing that which is right. Uh, God chastises his sons. Now, it's interesting. Remember how in 1 John it talked about if any man uh, says that they are a, a believer and they don't keep his commandments, they're a liar and the truth is not in them and, and, and they don't have any of these fruit. Illustration, okay? When I was, I was newly saved, like, a year or two. I was probably 16, 17 years old, probably around the same time that one of my pastors told me I was losing my hair. Okay, uh, Went to a, a Christian music festival in Pennsylvania, and it was a camp out kind of thing. And one of the kids from the youth group, who he was a crazy kid. I mean, he got in all kinds of trouble, drugs, alcohol, you name it, he was into it. Um, satanic um, music, like literally worshiping Satan type of music. Um, and he came to this festival, and we talked to him about salvation. And I went through with him through the gospel, and he accepted Christ, okay? Um, verbally, outwardly, but not for real, not in his heart. How do I know? Well, maybe a week after that all happened, not that long after, he just he, he fell off the scene. Um, and the next time I saw him, it was probably months later. And I said, what's going on with you, man? What, 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 what happened with everything that you said when we were in Pennsylvania and you, you know, asked Christ? He said, well, I'm just looking out for number one right now, meaning himself. And that he didn't, and he didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord. And so that is one of those that, you know, is supposedly in, in him, but he's not. He's a professor, but not a possessor. And the fruits come out that show those things. And Mark mentioned that guy in Israel who denied the deity of Christ and all those other things. And somebody like that or the kid that I knew in high school, these people were never saved, just like Judas. And their fruits will eventually show those things. This is speaking of here, uh, of um, those like the Jewish people of John chapter 8, people like Judas and the Hebrew believers who were professors but not possessors. Um, I think I'm not sure if I have the verse here. Okay, we're going to look at it in a little bit. Uh, they claim outwardly to believe in Jesus but have not inwardly received him. Those who claim to follow Jesus but are following a false Jesus based on a false doctrine. There's those that say, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but it's not this Jesus, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Um, like Mormons, okay? Uh, I think they believe that he's basically the half-brother of Satan. Um, Jesus is, uh, according to the Mormons. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses um, believe that he is a God or, or, or of God's substance, but he's not God. Um, Roman Catholics, they believe in a Jesus, but their Jesus isn't good enough to completely, totally save them by faith alone in his blood and his sacrifice. They need more. That's not this Jesus. Uh, those, who tr who, those who don't truly believe that Jesus is the only way, like Joel Olstein. Uh, I got something to read for you, and those of you, uh, some of you have probably heard this before. How many of you have heard his, his interview with Larry King on Larry King Live? Okay, I'm going to read to you some of the transcript of this thing. Yes. Okay, yes, yes. So Larry King, who's Jewish, by the way, in case you didn't know, Larry King says to Joel Olstein, he says, what if you're Jewish or Muslim? You don't, you don't accept Christ at all. Olstein says, you know... I'm very careful about saying who would and wouldn't go to heaven. I, I don't know, he says. At this point, even Larry King appears surprised by Olstein's answer. Then Larry tosses Olstein a softball 
to explain his previous answer. And again, Osteen openly denies that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. King says, if you believe, <coughs> if you believe you have to believe in Christ, uh, they're wrong, aren't they? Speaking of you know, Jewish people, Muslims, others that don't believe in Christ. If, if you say you have to believe in Christ, then others are, are, are wrong, aren't they? Well, this is Osteen responding. Well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. This is an interesting point. I spent a lot of time with my father in India. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. And I, I, I don't know. I've seen their sincerity, so I don't know. I know for me, and what the Bible teaches, I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. And so that was his answer to that. Again, Osteen denies the redemptive work of the Lord. Um, all right, so somebody calls in, okay, during this interview. And the caller says, hello, Larry, you're the best. Thank you, uh, Joe, Joel, for your positive messages and your book. I'm wondering, though, why you sidestepped Larry's earlier question about how we get to heaven. The Bible clearly tells us that this is the caller now. The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, life. And the only way to the Father is through him. That's not really a message of condemnation, but of truth. Osteen says, yes, I would agree with her. I believe that. King says, so then a Jew is not going to heaven. Uh, Osteen says, no, here, here's my thing, Larry, is I can't judge somebody's heart, you know. Only God can look at somebody's heart, and so I, I don't know. To me, it's not my business to say, you know, this is one or this, is, well, this one isn't. I just say, here's what the Bible teaches, and I'm going to put my faith in Christ. And I just think it's wrong when you go around saying, you're saying you're not going, or you're going, you're not going, because it's exactly my way. I'm just, and then King inter interrupts him and says, but you believe your way. Osteen says, I believe my way. I believe my way with all my heart. King says, but for someone who doesn't share, share it is wrong, isn't he? Osteen says, well, yes. Well, I don't know. If I... I don't know if I look at it like that. I would present my way, but I'm just going to let God be the judge of that. I don't know. I don't know. King says, so you make no judgment on anyone. Osteen says, no, but I, and then Larry interrupts again. Okay, this is the last thing. Uh, he lobs him a softball again about, uh, about what about a God-defying atheist? Again, Osteen will not confess that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. King says, what about atheists? And Osteen says, you know what, I, I'm just going to let someone, I'm going to let God be the judge of who goes to heaven and hell. I just, again, I present the truth and I say it every week, you know, I believe it's a relationship with Jesus. But you know what, I'm not going to go around telling everybody else if they don't want to believe that that's going to be their choice. God's got to look at your own heart. God's got to look at your heart and only God knows that. Um, now, we all can have opportunities that we squander because of fear or, or, or whatever else. And he issued a, a, an apology after this saying that he, um, after multiple multitudes of people wrote into him and, and are like, what are you doing? Why didn't you, you know, don't you believe that? And so he issued a, a, an apology on his website. Uh, I'm not sure how long after it was and, and, and that he believes that Jesus is the only way. But here when we, he has this like public forum, you know, he completely denies it, and then, it, like in uh, a, a press release on his website, in some back corner of the internet, he says, I'm sorry, I truly do believe that Jesus is the only way. Because he's going to lose support, he's going to lose money, he's going to, you know? Um, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and there was an article, I think it was Washington Post, the secular thing, from an unsaved man who visited his church, and he said that uh, there was no there was no salvation at all, nothing about salvation, nothing about sin, nothing about Jesus, <laughs> even when this man went. Um, I've never been to one of his services, but I want to get us across the point that there's more false brethren crept in unawares, wolves in sheep's clothing, that. Um, are professing to be believers. I think the interview was 2005, I think. 
Yeah, and I looked, I looked for um, another transcript that I couldn't find. There was two other instances that followed a very similar pattern. Oprah, on the Oprah show, and The View. And on both of these programs, and Larry King, Olstein was asked these questions, and every time he denied it. Um, I'm not sure which one is the most recent of those three, but I could only find the transcript of the Larry King, uh, the, the Larry King one. Well, you know why Larry trusts them? Because John MacArthur is always on his program. Okay. So he knows what John MacArthur believes, and if he didn't believe what John believes, that's why he trusts them so much. Yeah. I mean, if you contrast Joel Stein with people like MacArthur or like Ravi Zacharias, I saw Ravi Zacharias talking to Ben Shapiro, and he was he was he was loving, but he was blunt and point blank in his in in his belief about the gospel, and he says you need to you need to accept Christ, you know. Um, anyway, I got to move on. You were getting ready to say something. Okay, okay. So here's a here's an example. Couple examples that follow along this same idea. Okay, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, uh, "This is from Matthew 13. Jesus talking. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Okay, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then it appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir." Dost not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, uh, lest while we gather up the tares, you root up the wheat with them also. Let, let both grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the, first the tares and, and, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Here's another uh, example here. And this is of Jesus giving us the, the meaning of this first parable. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And the disciples came to him and saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. We, t tell us what this all means, what you were talking about there. He answered and said, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Okay, so the gospel. The field is the world. The good seed are, are the children of the kingdom. Okay, those that spring up as wheat. Their fruit shows that they are saved, that they are born again. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, okay? Those that claim to be believers, but like Jesus said to the Jewish people in John chapter 8, that quote-unquote believed, you're not of your father Abraham. I know that you're physically descended from him, but spiritually, you're of the devil. Not just those people that Jesus dealt with in John chapter 8, but anybody that is not saved, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, anywhere in between, anybody that is not born again is of the devil's kingdom. Um, the harvest is the end of the world. Okay, check this out. So, when he says, any vine in me that beareth not fruit, my father who is the husbandman, he is going to take it away. And it all parallels this passage and like with Judas as well, but it speaks of the ultimate destiny. It speaks of that final judgment where the wheat is ultimately going to be separated from the tares. We might not see that on this side of death, okay? On this side of the judgment. But once that day comes, no matter if they were a perfect imposter, truth will be shown at that point, And they will be, quote unquote, taken away, as it says in John chapter 15. But then he says this, The harvest is the end of the world, the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. We're not going to turn back to John chapter 8 for time's sake, but... Jesus is talking to some Jewish people that says that it says that they believed on him. And you, you remember that when we went through John chapter 8 and about verse 30, um, the Jewish people who were quote-unquote believing on Jesus, Jesus says, okay, if you continue in my word, then you'll be my disciples indeed. What was their response? Okay, Jesus, we want to be your disciples. How do we follow you better? Tell us what we need to do. But instead they said, be set free. You must have the wrong people, Jesus. We've never been in bondage to any man. We're Abraham's seed. Don't you understand? 
And then Jesus says, he who is a servant of sin is a slave to sin. And then they just, everything switched in their, in, in their, in their minds. When it says that they believed, they were following Jesus up to that point. They were bearing with what he had to say. They were listening. They were willing to consider up until that point. But later in John chapter 8, in that same passage, just a couple of verses later, those same Jewish people are seeking to kill Jesus. Jesus says, why go you about to kill me, a man which has told you the truth? John chapter 8. He's speaking to Jewish people who quote-unquote believed, but their belief was not true. Their belief was just an empty profession. That's kind of parallel to what we see here. Every branch that beareth fruit, okay, so that's, that's those that are not the true believers. But then, the second half of verse number two, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So what happens to the true believer? God's going to purge you or prune you to bring forth more fruit. Abiding in Jesus does not prevent us from experiencing external trials and difficulties. How many people could say amen to that? Okay. Abiding in Jesus does not prevent us from having earthly, external trials and difficulties. But we can experience them without a troubled heart. Okay? And when I'm teaching this, I'm teaching you guys, but I'm teaching myself also. Okay? I need this lesson just as badly as anybody else in here. If we are abiding in him, anything that would or could be hurtful or unpleasant uh, will never be useless in God's plan for our lives. This is why we are told in James chapter 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you, when you fall into diverse temptations, meaning trials, difficulties, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, meaning complete, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. Hebrews chapter 12, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as, as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, the pruning, the clipping, the purging, of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And then in the uh, couple verses later in Hebrews 12, verse 10, for they verily for a few days chastened us, meaning our earthly fathers, uh, after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. You see, all of this parallels the idea of the vine being pruned so that it might bring forth more fruit, more holiness, more patience, being complete in him. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And then Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All things, no matter what goes on in your life. To them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this is not saying that we are predestined to be saved. It's saying that those that are believers are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And whether or not that ends up with our glorification, because we, got to, we had to be taken home because of chastisement, that is an option, okay? Um, but God's going to work all things in our life, good or bad from our perspective, in order to conform us to the image of his son, in order to prune us. All right, verse number three. He says, now ye are clean through the word I have spoken unto you. Okay, you see this verse and it's kind of like, what? Ye are clean through the word I have spoken unto you? How does this relate? How, what does this mean? Do you remember... Back in John chapter number 13, uh, when Jesus said to Peter, he said, remember that illustration I gave about how there's two different Greek words for washing? You need to, you need to wash your hands, okay, because you're already completely bathed. He that is bathed, completely clean from head to foot, that's the Greek word that's used, bathed is what it means, needs not to but wash his hands or wash his feet in their case, okay? And he says, ye are clean, but not all. And I said that because one of you is going to betray me. One of you is lost. So clean, meaning bathed, wholly bathed, completely, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly bathed, has the idea of being saved, right? Um, but those that were the disciples, I mean, you get your feet dirty walking through the world, you need to wash your hands once in a while, right? But you're all clean except for Judas. That word for clean... 
okay, here in this passage, chapter 3, or verse 3, is the same Greek word as purged in verse 2. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, he cleaneth it, okay? He prunes it. The same exact Greek word is used in chapter 3, uh, verse 3, for clean. Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. What does this mean? How many of you guys have seen the Karate Kid movies? Okay. I saw those when I was really little, and we decided to pull them up again because they were free to watch online or something. And uh, there's this thing with like a bonsai tree, okay? And when Mr. Miyagi goes to get the bonsai tree, yeah, all of the bonsai trees in the area, except for this one special one, is not a real bonsai tree. And when he goes and gets this thing, it's unpruned, uncleaned, unbonsai, if you will, okay? And it looks like a pine tree. It's got little pine needles everywhere, all these branches. It's like a, it's, it's like a cone-shaped pine tree. That looks the farthest thing from a bonsai tree. So what's he have to do? He clips all, you know, all the unnecessary branches from that, you know, that are unnecessary for that bonsai shape. He needs to take the branches and put wire around them to make them grow in a certain fashion or form, you know, kind of all gnarly looking. And then, that's a theological term there. And then you take those pine needles, which are normally like that long, okay? And he's cutting even just the needles down to like that long. And so it appears to have like little tufts of bonsai leaves, you know? It's not a real bonsai tree. It's not an official one, but it's used in that fashion. And so what happens when we're saved? That initial pruning is done. We stop looking like a crazy cone-shaped pine tree, and we start looking like an actual bonsai tree, like really cool. At least in my opinion, I think they're, they're kind of neat. But anyway, okay, so that's the moment of salvation. You are pruned, you are cleaned, you are purged. But what would happen if he just did that and then just left it? It wouldn't produce fruit. It wouldn't be a healthy tree if he didn't continually do those little touches here and there, just like the washing of the feet in John chapter 13. It's a parallel thing. Um, okay. Uh, when he's speaking to Peter uh, in John chapter 13, it's the same Greek word. Um, we are purged. We're already purged. Um, okay. Um, next page. Okay. Uh, page number three. The word Jesus is speaking of here, when he says, you are clean through the word that I have spoken to you, is the, it, it means his entire message, everything that he's taught to them up to this point. The things that he's taught about the kingdom of heaven, the things that he's taught about salvation, the things that he's taught about the Father, primarily the things that he's taught about the gospel and needing to believe him, that he is the way, needing to trust him. You are clean through the word I have spoken unto you. It has everything to do with who he is and what he has done and what he will do. It's all about Jesus. Verse number four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. So there's a couple different thoughts here, all right? So when Jesus says in verse number one, I am the true vine, and, and my father is the husbandman, uh, every branch that beareth not fruit he taketh away, there's this sense of there are branches there that are not true branches, okay? They're not truly connected to the vine. They're not bearing fruit. They're the false believers. They're the Judases, so to speak. Um, but there are those that are part of the vine, and you are, if you're saved, you are in Christ, truly in Christ. And you're basically, in a, in a, in a general sense, abiding passively, but not actively. And I'll explain this. It can be a little bit tricky to understand, but abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. One way to illustrate this concept of abiding can be thought is, is through the following silly illustration. I came up with this illustration. I didn't have anybody specific in mind, okay? There's no names, you know, changed to protect the innocent or guilty. This is just my own twisted mind that came up with this scenario to help explain the idea of abiding, okay? Imagine a messed up family, <laughs> okay? There is a husband, a wife, and two kids. Now picture this in your mind as I'm talking about this, okay? Husband, wife, two kids. The dad is always working. He's kind of like an absent father, okay? He takes extra hours all of the time, 
and even when he's home, his heart and mind are at his job. One day, a man shows up and claims that he is the father of one of the children. This sounds like a Jerry Springer or something kind of a thing. Um, the wife denies that this man, one of her old boyfriends, was the father of the child. Okay? Once the DNA results are received, we find that this man is not the father. He is an imposter, parallel to Judas, parallel to the false believers in the book of Hebrews, parallel to the false believers in John chapter 8, those that were professing to know God, professing to be a believer, and yet were not. This man is an imposter. He's trying to run a scheme by saying, I'm the father of one of these kids. But he was found to be a liar. He is one uh, who claimed to be part of the family, okay, but did not bear evidentiary fruit, okay? He did not show, bring forth fruit that he was part of that family, i.e. the DNA results, okay? Um, he is removed from the equation. He's no longer even thought of to be part of that family. The real dad is really a part of the family, but he was never really present with them. That's kind of a modern term where they talk about, you know, you need to be present with me. You need to be present here. You know, it's not just I'm sitting in a seat. Because even when he was home, he wasn't present with them, right? That is the idea of abiding, okay? You're part of the family. You know, uh, here, let me, let me continue. He doesn't really, uh, the, the, the man that's never really present with them, the true father there, he doesn't really enjoy the wonderful benefits and joys he could have if he would really be there when he's home, to actually be home. There are more fruits of fatherhood than just a DNA test. There's more things that he could experience and bring forth fruit, you know, with, other than just a DNA test that he actually is the father. But this man was missing out. One day, his wife has a nice long talk with him. This is the pruning, okay? She sets him straight, tells him what she thinks about him, what he's missing out on, how he is not abiding in the family, even though he's part of the family. The dad realized he was really dumb, apologized to his family, and is now experiencing all of the joys of being a dad. He is now bearing much fruit. That's the difference. And once again, this is a hypothetical story that I came up with. But you can be part of the family, you can be saved, and not be actively abiding, being present in Christ, on purpose, trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like once you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit never, ever, ever leaves you, but you might not be filled with the Spirit constantly, and yet we are commanded to do so. How do we do that? Yielding ourselves of, of, of our flesh, of our desires, of ourselves, and yielding wholly to the control of what God wants for our lives. Um, okay, verse number five. I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire. See, abiding is equated with being a true believer, being saved. Okay? Um, man gather them, cast them into the fire, they are burned. This is illustrated in the parable of the wheat and the tares that we quoted previously, right? Those that abide are the true believers who are eternally secure in Christ. If they are passively abiding, okay, so if you say, all right, Dan, I'm a believer, I'm a true believer, but I'm not, I, I, I'm not doing that, I don't, I'm not abiding in Christ, you know, am I going to lose my salvation, I'm going to be cast in the fire? No, you're going to be pruned. Get it? So if you are a true believer, you are in Christ, truly, but you're not actively abiding, okay? You're just kind of sitting there like an armchair Christian. Guess what God's going to do? He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna do some, some clipping. That's a good clipping noise, isn't it, when you're clipping the, I don't know. Anyway, all right, so he's pruning the bonsai tree, right? Because you're a true believer. If you are not a true believer, are you going to be pruned? No. If you're not a true believer, you're not going to be chastened. Okay, what's that? You're a yeah, you're a shriveled prune, yeah. withered up. Yep, that's a good that's a good analogy. Prunes are evil, right? In that case, okay. 
All right. So um, if they are passively abiding, uh, they will be pruned or purged. If they are actively abiding, they will bring forth much fruit. You get it? There's different levels of abiding there. Those who don't abide at all don't bring forth any fruit and, were never, and are never chastised. These were never saved, simply professors. They are lost. And the judgment spoken of is the lake of fire. So this is a serious thing. If ye abide in me and my words in you, verse 7, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. If you abide in me, ask what you will and it will be done unto you. This is a direct link to what Jesus said about praying in his name. You guys remember that? It wasn't too long ago. In the context of you ask whatever you will in my name and it will be done unto you, praying in his name, okay, all has to do with the context of ministry causing other to, others to believe through the works that we are doing, the works of Jesus, and works greater works shall you do than these, because I go to my Father. If you ask anything in my name, for his glory, for his sake, for the work of the gospel, I will do it. It's the same thing here when he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall, it shall be done unto you. In the context of, if we're abiding in Christ, we're going to want what he wants. What does he want? He wants ministry to be done. He wants us to uh, do his works to love one another, um, to share the gospel, to be Christ-like. Things that go along with that goal and that mindset as we abide in him will be answered. Uh, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it, John 14. And again, this is not a blank check. It has the direct link to the previous context. Okay. Um... If we look at John chapter 14, just turn back a page in your Bibles. Maybe it's on the same page. Verse number 16 of John chapter 14. And we're going to look through verse uh, 23. John 14, 16 says, And I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. What did Jesus say uh, just in verse number 5 of John 15? Uh, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. It's the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is the Spirit of Christ. They are one, just like Jesus and the Father are one. And so there's a lot of things here. He will abide, it says in verse number 16, with you forever, uh, John 14, 16. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. They can't receive him. Those branches that are fake, like Judas, okay, uh, they cannot receive him, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. It's that idea of abiding. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. In that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. This is all directly parallel to abiding. Verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And Judas says unto, him, says unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, we will come unto him and make our abode with him, abiding. Okay, it's all the same word there. Um... Okay, verse 8. We're almost done with the text of tonight. Okay, we're going to go through verse 11. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, even so have I loved you. Continue in my love. By the way, before I forget, because I don't have it in the notes, Jesus talks about we need to abide in him and he in us. Remember how it says that the Holy Spirit will come and make our abode with him and he will abide with you forever? All of those words are related to the exact same word for mansion in John 14, verse 1, I think it is. Uh, verse 2 of John 14. That's why I called this message our present mansion. We're looking forward to that mansion one day in heaven, our abode that Jesus is preparing for us. But even today, before that you know, trumpet sounds, and we're with the Lord, and we get to see you know, the place that he has prepared for us, we can experience it inwardly right now by simply abiding in him. Um, he says this. 
if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I has kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's this idea of actively seeking to do the will of Jesus and to experience his love, his presence. And later in this chapter, we will see his joy. I think it's the very next verse. Just like Jesus says, my peace give I unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. We can experience his peace. It's different than the world's peace. Verse 11, we can experience his joy. And it's different than the world's joy. How do we experience these things? And how do we end up like Hudson Taylor, okay, who had all of those stacks of nasty letters and losing support and all kinds of stuff, and he was fine? Because he was letting the peace of Christ and the joy of Christ be his peace and his joy. Um, okay, flip the page over. I got a little diagram there for you. I did not draw this, I just edited it, okay? So it's partially of my creation. He says in verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you, why? That my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. How do we have full joy? How do we have peace? By listening to what Jesus has said and putting it into practice. Not just externally, more importantly, internally. Loving one another, seeking to do Jesus' commandments. Remember how I talked about in John 14, Jesus said something that was really convicting. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I mentioned a bunch of different things that Jesus had said. One of those things was, take no thought for your life. You know, uh, or that's in James. Uh, why take you thought? Yeah, take no thought for your life, Jesus said. Uh, why do we worry? He says, you can't, you know, grow one inch, add one inch to your stature, or one cubit to your stature. <laughs> in, my, in my sense, it would have been, you know, the thing about the hair. You know, you can't make one hair white or black, or you can't make one hair pop up. I don't know, for some reason I'm on the hair thing today. But we need to internalize and apply those things. And if we do, guess what? We are abiding in him. We are seeking to bear fruit through keeping of the things that he has said. We need to experience Jesus's joy and Jesus's peace. We do this by actively abiding in him, not just kind of sitting back and being like, well, I'm a Christian. I believe that's good enough. We need to actively seek to fulfill the things that he's asked of us to do. Um, on the one side, not sinning. On the other side, actively pursuing to do ministry and love one another. Um, and, and seeking to glorify him. We do this by actively abiding in him. If we do this, we will bring forth much fruit and experience a joy and a peace that is not our own. Boy, you know, if I think about the times that I've tried to have peace, or that I've tried to have joy, oftentimes it's of my own making, of my own doing, and it's just worthless. It just fizzles out. But if we seek to, uh, as, I, as, I, as I have here, experience a joy and a peace that is not from us. It's from another source. It's not our own. It's actually possessed by Jesus. It is Jesus' peace and Jesus' joy. Just as the father in the previous illustration was now experiencing the joy of his children. It wasn't, it wasn't something that came from him. He was experiencing their joy, right? Playing with his kids for the first time, taking advantage of being a father and being present in his home. The same thing uh, can be said of us when we experience Jesus' joy. We seek to be uh, fulfilled in him. Even so, we, uh, even so we, if we as true believers actively abide in Christ, we will joy in his joy. Now here's the illustration. Okay, so we got, at the, I'm starting on the right side, okay? Um, because I got like a Hebrew mindset. No, that's just the way the, the picture was. Um, Jesus is the true vine. So that vine, that trunk, that main branch of that uh, grapevine, Jesus is illustrated as the true vine. He is the vine. Look up at the top. There's a branch there. It's got some nice leaves, I guess, but there's no fruit, okay? That's Judas. That's those believers, quote-unquote, of John chapter 8. That's those that profess in the book of Hebrews, but they don't internally possess Christ. Okay? Uh, what's going to happen to that branch eventually? My father, who is the husbandman, and take it away. And it's going to be withered like a prune, right? Or in this case, a raisin, I guess, although there's no fruit there. And it's going to be thrown into the fire. Is that person saved? Were they ever saved? No. 
Okay, That person is lost, but they are an imposter, as the wolves in sheep's clothing that we read in Matthew. Look down at the bottom, Okay, that one in the middle. This is one that has much fruit. Okay, This is one that is actively abiding in the vine, seeking the sustenance from the vine, so to speak. Okay, Seeking the joy and peace that flows from the vine. The Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. That's the one that we want to be, the big one in the middle with all those grapes on it. Okay, And then lastly, over on the left, we see one that's kind of uh, it's kind of sad compared to the other one, its bigger brother. Okay, It's still um, abiding. You know, It's still part of the vine. It's not going to be cast off. It's bringing forth fruit, but it needs pruning. You know, like those two little dinky, weird-looking things at the very end. They need to be clipped off, right? Like the bonsai tree. Now, this isn't doing good. This is kind of sucking up some of the sustenance that should go uh, to that fruit to make it bear more fruit. And so, where are you on this diagram? Uh, think about it. If we uh, are anywhere on this diagram, we should seek to be the actively abiding one that's bearing much fruit, which is in the center. Questions or comments? We're ending a little bit early tonight, but that's okay. My, my voice is about to give out. Yes. Well, me too. Joy has to come with a faith walk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has to be faith. You know? mm-hmm. Walk by faith, not by sight. Absolutely. Um, and I believe with me as a personal journey with myself and losing my husband of 36 years, mm. I understand now after three years this month, excuse me, last month, um, if you had said I would ever have joy again, the joy had just sort of like Yes. Um, so my joy has returned. It oh, really has returned. Praise the Lord. It's as if the Lord has wiped those tears. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That does not mean again that I will still have days where I'm in the valley, but I know yep. the Lord is with me in the valley. Yep, yep. Um, he won't leave me in the valley. You know, um, that's a good example. For the people that are watching um, online, sometimes you can't hear the questions or the comments, but mentioning that our joy is achieved through faith in Christ and trusting and in, 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 in walking with him. Uh, I think of Psalm 51, where he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David had just lost a child, and he's confronted about murdering a man. You know, that's some pretty big joy stealers right there. But, um, you know, he talks about in, in, the, in the Bible, uh, the bones which thou hast broken, you know, may rejoice, and, and just different things that happen in our lives. But it's all through faith. All of this stuff that I mentioned, all of this stuff that Jesus taught, has to be taken by faith and carried out through faith. Very good point. Thank you for that. Absolutely. And that way, if, if our joy is dependent on our circumstances, we'd be hopeless, right? But because it comes from Jesus, no matter what happens in our life, um, even if it's like you know some of those that have been, like Hudson Taylor, all the stuff that he dealt with, those that went through great hardship and persecution because of their faith, uh, Horatio Spafford, who wrote it as well with my soul after losing his children, um, to, a, to an accident, um, you know, you can, you can have joy because it's outside of your circumstances. And so that's what we need to look to. Very good. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and close, and we shall be done. No comments from Bob? Okay. I did good then. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you so much for the teachings of our Savior and how he gives us the opportunity to experience true joy and true peace. I think of the song that says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit, all because we don't take everything to, to him in prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the peace and the joy that we so often forfeit. Help me to see that, Lord, and uh, to experience your joy and your peace. We pray that you would bless the refreshments that have been made. We thank you for them. We pray that you would uh, help us to have a good rest of the night, a good weekend. And Once again, we pray for the upcoming wedding and everything there. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts 
our teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to, or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.